Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Hey everybody, it's Mark Boundy. Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value, selling it, delivering it, pricing it, everything. Uh, today, my guest is me. I wanted to share with you uh, a talk that I gave earlier this week. And in this talk, it kind of combined my sales uh, and sales training, sales consulting with another project that I'm working on, and that is the Mediocrities Project, which we'll let you know more about. And so I wanted to talk about mediocrity in sales. In the book that I've got, the upcoming project, we actually made up a fictional character. This character um, is a Greek philosopher named Mediocrities, and Mediocrities' teachings were far more successful than anybody else, any philosopher you have ever heard of, because more people practice mediocrity and are therefore followers of Mediocrities than ever. Now, Mediocrities isn't shoddy work, but it's satisficing work. It's being satisfied with the basics. Uh, the Greek or the, the Latin origins of the word mediocrity kind of tell what it really is. We use mediocre to mean bad, but really it just means good enough, um, accepting less. Medio uh, is Latin for medium, and ochris is a tall, craggy mountain. So a medio ochris is a medium tall mountain or an easy mountain to climb. It's, you know, I got my steps in, I climbed a mountain. It was an easy one, but I climbed the mountain. So it's not staying home and eating potato chips, but it's not challenging yourself to be the best and to be great. So mediocrity is not challenging yourself. It's allowing yourself to get away with what everybody else thinks is okay. So I have four sayings that I wanted to talk about, and they are all sayings of mediocrities, and they are all in the area of selling. The first one is mediocrities, the mediocratic manager saying, I want to see more activity. And this is the, the mediocrity of activity-based selling. Now, before, we, before you um, get too upset, Selling requires selling activity. It requires you to get on the phone. It requires you to meet with customers. It requires you to have conversations. But activity-based selling is counting only the quantity of those activities, counting the quantity of dials, counting the quantity of conversations, not the quality. Now, quality of conversations are harder to measure, but if you think about it, I would rather have one quality sales conversation than a million useless sales conversations. And you can count to a million and have um, get a lot in, in a lot of sales organizations, that million conversations can accounts for an awful lot, or that hundred a day, or that 50 conversations a day. But if you didn't get a good sales conversation that's actually going to advance a sale in the customer's mind, 
you're actually saying, well, I'm going to take the good ones with the bad ones, and I'm going to assume that they're all going to occur in about the same quantity and or in the, about the same ratio. And that's not right, is it? You don't always get, and not every one of your sellers gets 5% or 10% or 50% good conversations in their conversation. You have to teach your salespeople to have good conversations. So, and that means you have to, as a sales manager, you have to know what a good sales conversation is like. And you have to have the courage to account for only good conversations and not count the crap conversations that don't move a sale forward. That means knowing the difference. That means living with a more subjective measurement system. But actually, the good conversations are the only ones that are going to move your sales forward. And when you to tell what a good conversation is, is when you're talking to a customer about an outcome they want to achieve. If you have not talked to a customer about an outcome that they either aren't getting and want to get, used to get, but aren't anymore, or desire to get for the first time, they aspire to get, that outcome delta, that gap in outcomes, is what they want to change. And if you're not talking to them about an outcome aspiration, you're not moving them. You're not talking about any kind of a sale. Now, it's fair to talk to a customer to get them a customer who starts the conversation not wanting an outcome and trying to get them to want an outcome, that can be considered selling. But if you don't move them to wanting that outcome, it's not a sales conversation. It's manager repellent. It's one of those conversations that I'm just going to have to click the counter so that my manager stops bugging me. Stop doing that. So remember, customers buy their own, they don't buy your product or service, they buy their own outcomes for their own reasons, and if you're talking to them about an outcome, then you're having a decent conversation, especially if it's, well, it has to be an outcome that you're capable of delivering. So one, stop activity-based selling and start quality-based selling. Next, second uh, bit of mediocrity, which is let's get them some sales training. You know, this is uh, actually talking um, in contravention or against my own interest because there are people who come to me and say, hey, I've got a sales kickoff or I've got a sales meeting. I just need to spend some money with you so that I can check it off my box so I can tell my CEO that we tried some sales training and that we're going to be better at selling. Here's the actual truth of sales training. Sales is a behavior that you practice. Sales training, or any kind of training, actually, there's two kinds of training. One kind of training is when the content is about knowledge transfer. The other kind of training is about behavior modification. Knowledge transfer training is where are the brochures located? How do I process a bid? If I win a sale, who all, you know, what's the process and who gets the pink copy, right? Uh, where are the bathrooms located? Simple knowledge transfer where you teach somebody to what, how to do something and that knowledge is transferred and you have a reasonable expectation that they're going to do the right thing. Sales, on the other hand, is about behavior change. I Selling behavior is something, it's a habit that you've got to cre- create and then embed. 
Um, use the example of teaching you a golf swing or a tennis serve or how to bowl or anything like that. In one half hour to an hour, I can teach you all of the basic fundamentals of the golf swing. I can teach them to you. Now, I can't teach you how to compete with on the pro circuit in one hour with that training. The, the real change in your golfing skills is how you ingrain that training into your muscle memory, how you turn that into a behavior, into a habit that you repeat unconsciously. That's what sales training is like. So if you don't follow up a sales training event, now, now if that sales training is your product training, giving, you know, barfing out all the, you know, the specs and the speeds and the feeds and the features and the benefits, which you can kind of expect people to know, that's one thing. But if it's how to take those benefits and convert them into an outcome, how to have an, a conversation about outcomes, how to ask great questions, how to structure a great interview so that you start with the easy questions and end with the ones that are more personal in nature after people get comfortable talking with you, all of that stuff, that takes behavior change. That's a behavior modification, and you can't get that behavior to change with just a sales training event, period. You need to combine that sales training event with a plan for and a plan to execute and executed coaching. Just like when I teach you a golf swing, you need to have a golf pro watching you swing hundreds of times and telling you what little thing in the training that I taught you at first that you're not doing this time. Here's the habit that I want you to create. Here's the habit. Here's the habit. Here's the habit. Here's what I want you to do. And so the, the people in most sales forces who are actually in a position to be able to deliver that kind of coaching are going to be the frontline sales manager. You know, sometimes a sales consultant can be brought in for some of that coaching or a sales enablement person can be brought in for some of that coaching. But, you know, if you've got one sales enablement person or a half a dozen sales enablement person, people for a huge sales team, you can't do that. The typical span of control of eight to 12 uh, sellers for a sales manager, uh, I like eight to 10. Uh, 10 is actually getting pretty wide for a sales manager who is expected to do coaching, to be able to watch you at work or listen to recordings and give you coaching about your behavior. Um, I guess here's the other thing, right? Sales coaching isn't about the salesperson uploading deal information, telling the sales manager how likely it is to close, and the sales manager saying, you know, just let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. That's not coaching. Coaching is talking about the plan for the next call. Give me the call plan. Give me how you're going to get out or you're going to elicit uh, the customer desiring a certain outcome. Tell me how you're going to structure that conversation. Walk through that and help them improve that conversation quality. That's coaching. Okay? Sales training alone does no good. The next one, um, oh, this one, right? Mediocrity says, the demo went great. We showed them everything. They sat there and took it. Um, that could just be an introverted, very polite person who let you demo them to death. 
Um, you know, there's so many sales techno technology salespeople who think if we just if we can just get them to see the demo, they're going to love it and they're going to buy. Well, you know, your features and benefits have not very little to do with the customer's outcomes. And here's what I want you to do in a demo. A demo is not an opportunity for death by PowerPoint. A demo is not an opportunity for you to show off everything your solution does. A demo is an opportunity for you to prove to the customer that your the differentiation that you talked about that delivers a differentiated outcome that you have uncovered with them that is an outcome that they want that is going to cause them to buy. So the discovery process is a matter of discovering which outcomes move the needle with the customer. And then the demo process is showing them in concrete how they're going to give them a better idea of how to visualize themselves achieving those outcomes. Anything outside of that, you showing, oh, it also does this. Hey, I thought this was really cool. Another customer really liked this. All of that stuff is confusing the out confusing the conversation, confusing the customer. What I want you to do instead of taking that opportunity to, to show that stuff, there's there's two things to do. One, uh, with that, with most customers, what I want you to do is yada yada everything else. And for those of you who don't uh, aren't Seinfeld fans and you don't know what it means to yada yada, it just means to say. Mr. Customer, remember we talked about these outcomes. And so what I want to do in this demo to, to, I want us to focus on these outcomes. Yes, we do everything else. All the other competitors do. We're, we're the same as, or we, we do it at least as well. And I think sometimes, you know, if you want to say this, at least I, I think we do it better. But what I wanted you to focus on today, what I want us to focus on today is this outcome that we've talked about that's so critical for you and the success of your organization. So let's talk about that at the demo. The second thing is there's always, almost always, somebody at the in the organization who is a checkbox checker, right? Uh, I want to make sure your product has this kind of security protocols. I want to make sure your product does this. I want to make sure your product connects with our other system this way. You know, the, the real user buyers and the people with the budget authority don't care about that. They care that that checkbox filler has said, yep, I covered off on all of it. We're good. We're good to go. It, it, it's not going to cause any problems. And so in the main demo, it's perfectly acceptable to say, let's get everybody to demo. Uh, let's get everybody here to look at the outcomes that you want. And either after this or online, the rest of you can go and I'm happy to talk to this technicality focused person and make sure that they're satisfied because I want to do that. But that's not the that's not the right investment of everybody's time in public. So what you're doing is making sure that the customer is getting all their needs met, but that the correct persona at the customer is getting their needs met. That is, the technicality-oriented person is getting all of their needs met, and you can get them to check off their boxes. But everybody else, you do not want to dilute the message, the outcome-focused, value-focused message in a bunch of crap. Don't dilute it. Never ask your customer to play Where's Waldo 
with your value. Never crowd your value in so much crap that you're forcing your customer to sort through a torrent of BS so that they can refocus on what's important. So be very focused and very targeted in your demos. Uh, here's one of my favorite ones. This mediocrities, right? We'll offer a price cut so that they buy. I've got news for you. Um, I studied consumer behavior for years before I graduated from business school. Uh, my first grown-up big boy job was with a company that was maniacal, relentless about understanding our value, the, the, the value of what we sold to our customer and pricing that way. And what I very quickly learned is that what you learned in economics, when you drop price, demand goes up. That's kind of true. And it's only true in the aggregate. I may, if I drop my price, there's somebody out there who might Who's a, who was a marginal prospect who becomes who, who takes it over the line. Typically, however, 99% of the time, the customer that you are in front of right now isn't really that marginal customer. And so they either have extra value. Remember that demand curve said there's a whole bunch of customers who have a lot more value for what you are selling than they and they would be willing to pay a lot more because they have a high value. But because your price is fixed, uh, they're thrilled to buy it. There's a ton, there's for every one of those marginal customers, there's a hundred customers who would pay more. Um, so the demand curve, first of all, says that. Second of all, theoretical economics ignores the reality and assumes that price is simply where the demand curve and the supply curve intersect. And it ignores the very real perception that price creates value. Price declares value. Think about uh, a type of clothing, and if you've ever seen it on sale or gone into a discount store, a Ross or a Target or, or Ross or a Marshalls or something like that, and you've seen a designer brand of blue jeans in on the racks at one of those discount stores or um, in a de department store at a at, on a discount, suddenly you think, hey, this you don't think this is a great deal. Uh, or maybe you do, but you also think, man, maybe this brand is no longer cool. Maybe this brand is no longer stylish. Maybe this brand is a has-been brand, and maybe I don't want to buy it even at this discount because cheap doesn't fix ugly. And it might be ugly now, this brand, right? Or this article of clothing. Price declares value, and low price invites suspicion. So when you go to a customer and, and just before the end of the quarter and say, hey, if you'll buy, I'll give you an X percent discount, all of that selling and all of that establishment of value that you have been doing up to that point, in the customer's mind, it makes them suspicious that you were lying to them. It's not worth that value that you were declaring the entire time. So what else are you lying about? So also... If you start doing that, um, nine times out of 10, the customer says, you know, the customer will say, I can't buy it right now, but my budget opens up at the first of next month. So after the third, on the third or fourth of next month, I'll be coming back and I want that discounted price. So you've trained your customers either to expect discounting at the end of the quarter and they buy 
And a lot of customers will insist on that discount being extended beyond the discount period. So anytime you offer a discount, it becomes a lot more permanent than you ever intended. And here's another thing. If you are a sales leader and you're that sales leader, leader who discounts stuff around your company, I've got news for you. You manage the only department in your company, sales, that doesn't care about profitability. When you drop your price, the company has to spend the exact same amount to fulfill the promises you've made. So your costs do not go down at all. That dollar of discount, that yen of discount, that euro of discount, that when your costs don't change, that one euro less, that one dollar less is a dollar less profit. Discount dollars are profit dollars. And if you run the discounting, the only department that believes in discounts, you run the only department in your entire company that doesn't care about profit. Now, think about that next time you complain that sales, nobody respects sales around here. We don't have a seat at the big boys table. We don't have a seat in the leadership. I'm not, the vice president of sales isn't invited to the executive on the executive retreats. You know why? Because you're the only person in the company, the only executive who doesn't care about profit. Connect those two things about why you're not respected with the fact that you don't care about profit and see if there's a see if there's something there. Because a lot of time there is. So it's not just, hey, I'm trying to make the sale because most times your customers don't need the discount. Most times they would be willing to pay more. Um, I have this advice. If any time a customer tells you your price is too high, I'm not a, often a big proponent of selective listening, but I want you to act when somebody says your price is too high. I want you to act as if they said your value is too low. Have a conversation based on the assumption that that's what they said. Because that really is what they said. Because anytime somebody tells you something negative about your price, I want you to remember that they took the time, effort, and energy to tell you something about the price. They didn't ghost you. In other words, when they start engaging you in a conversation about price, they want to talk about price. They don't want to reject your price. They want to understand. They want to buy from you. They want to be convinced that the value is there. So if they have engaged with you on price, engage with them on price. But that doesn't mean drop your price. That usually means you didn't do enough selling value. And in my experience with thousands of salespeople, um, the company I used to be with, uh, I, there was a, hundreds, a couple hundred uh, consultants like me who had each done opportunity reviews with thousands. So there's got to be hundreds of thousands, maybe even close to a million opportunity reviews that the consultants that I worked with for 10 years had reviewed, individual deal reviews. We all realized that in the vast majority of those, the one part of the sales training that we'd given them that the salespeople weren't doing was understanding the customer's expected outcome.
understanding their outcome is understanding the value. Because if you don't understand the outcome, you don't know how much they will pay for that outcome. Because you don't know what that outcome is, and you don't know how that outcome is going to be reflected in their financials. So you do not understand your value if you don't know the customer's outcome. And that's the one thing that over and over, based on hundreds of thousands of opportunity reviews, that's the part that salespeople do worst. So I'm not telling you this blind. I'm not making assumptions. I'm actually channeling real live opportunity reviews from hundreds of consultants in every business to business industry you can imagine. I can tell you that your salespeople on almost always do not sell value. And therefore, think about this. If a salesperson asking asks you for a discount, but they haven't actually done the selling work of understanding a value, they're asking you to put a profit loss, you know, a profit costing band-aid, a discount on their bad, inadequate selling. Are you happy to do that for your salespeople? Discount because they didn't do their job, didn't understand the customer's outcome, didn't understand the value? Now, I'm the first person to tell you that sometimes your value is, is low. Sometimes you've got to price to your, you always have to price to your value. And sometimes when your value genuinely isn't that high, your price can't be that high if you want that piece of business. That happens. But man, it doesn't happen nearly as often as the kind of discounting behavior that I see in my clients. So do not ever believe in offering price cuts to increase sales. That is a, it's a curse. And it is a, it's a trap. And it is the, the road to bankruptcy. Last one. All we need is a great sales script. It'll be our secret weapon. Uh, this has to do with, you know, the, the, the myth of the magic pitch. If I just, if I can just get some clever person, some magician to come up with a correct sequence of words, the sales will just happen. Well, human beings are too different and organizations and customers are all too different from each other to actually have a magic script. There can be a script or a set of talking points, if you will, or a, a talk deck that is consistently able to get a first appointment. That can happen. Oftentimes that script or that set of talking points is actually specific to an industry and to a different type of persona or buying influence type. Um, that kind of a script that is very tailored and very tailored to a person in an industry. But every time I talk to, you know, a, a vice president of HR in a manufacturing company, here's the script. Every time I talk to a vice president in a software company, this should be the script. It's not the same script. Uh, I'm all in on that. But there is no such thing as a one size fits all sales approach message. That idea died decades ago in consumer uh, advertising and consumer sales. And in business to business, it's dead. It's just that we haven't realized it. Uh, nobody loves death by PowerPoint. Nobody loves the magic script. And so what I want you to do instead of 
Believing in a magic script. Believe in the magic of your customer's insight. So discover their aspirations, their pains, their motivations. Co-create desired outcomes. Demo those and yada, yada, everything else. Confirm that they can see them, envision themselves achieving those outcomes. Ask them what achieving those outcomes will do for them. What other outcomes happen when they achieve those primary outcomes? What are the secondary and offshoot and follow-on outcomes? Who else would love to have these outcomes? That is the magic formula, not the magic script. Okay, so here we are about uh, just under half an hour. I hope this has been great for you. This has kind of been cathartic for me, um, talking about mediocrity in sales. I hope this helped. Uh, remember that value only exists in each individual customer's mind, and you have to find out what that is. So value and selling value and talking about value is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks for listening, and have a high-value day. These pots in a week. Maybe these current suppliers screw things up, put them up a creek. And I don't know why he wants 4,000 of our gold-plated thingamabobs with the custom unobtainium mojo option. What do you mean, the custom unobtainium mojo option? Cost us more than 20 bucks by itself. Are you sure he knows that? Then why'd you tell me 20 bucks? Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.